Hi, hi, hi. Hello. Happy Sunday. Uh, you're listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a new show hosted by me, Asha Saluja. Bushwick Junction is a show about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate, or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I will have a guest tell me about all the big decisions they've ever made, in order, no pressure. We'll start at birth, fast forward through their to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of inflection points or junctions. My guest today is named Alon, uh, and he's going to introduce himself. Okay. Hi, I'm Alon Danziger, and I am a resident of Park Slope, Brooklyn. I uh, work bread and butter-wise, I suppose, uh, as a real estate agent. I've been doing it for about six years. I uh, have many a hobby and occupation to keep me sane outside of said uh, employment. As uh, one does. As I mean, it's New York. I think we all have about three jobs, if we want to call it jobs. Um, i Actually, a host here on Radio Free Brooklyn for a Thursday show called Lost and Rewound. That uh, takes up a lot of my time. And otherwise, I, uh, I'm the uh, doggy daddy of many uh, rescue animals. As many? Many, yes. How many? Uh, three, actually. Wow. Um, and then uh, a few other animals as well. Uh, a cat, uh, a hedgehog, a ferret. A rescue hedgehog? A rescue hedgehog. Oh, my God. It's, it's kind of cute. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, other than that, um, I mean, I, I, I just have a lot of, uh, theatrical, um, endeavors that I've been taking on lately. And, uh, I, I improvise. I do, uh, improvisation through the hip hop improv community currently right now. And, uh, I'm on stage as much as I possibly can, really. Cool. And are you here? Well, one thing that I want to promote just on your behalf is your show, which I just sort of, became acquainted with and is like the coolest thing ever lost in me round just like a super great idea uh incorporating audio from it's it's not so dissimilar to this show it's kind of like a look back on your life but incorporating audio in a really interesting way so listen to that what time that's uh thursdays from uh 3 to 4 p.m right and is there something else that you're sort of promoting today the, the uh, new endeavor? Yes. Um, I guess we'll be getting to that eventually uh, after all these junctions. But um, yeah, I am at the moment at the helm uh, along with uh, a co-producer, Lindsay Freeman, and my assistant director, uh, Sean Pollock, as well as another executive producer, Barry Stelbaum, um, heading up a production going up in March. It's a, a live reimagining of... It's a musical. It's a rock opera. It's a stage version of the movie Phantom of the Paradise. And that's coming up uh, March 12th, March 19th, and March 26th at the Secret Loft in Manhattan. Very exciting. i am never directed anything in my life. We'll totally get to that junction because that sounds like a big one. And I yep. guess we can replug at the end. Sure. Very cool things on the horizon. So the first question on the show is, tell me about the circumstances into which you were born and 
what it looked like your life could have looked like at the time of your birth. Sure. Um, my parents, first of all, are from New York City. So they met in the city. My dad hated New York and eventually moved upstate himself. And then my mother followed. And they married about, I think, four years into being uh, in a relationship and started a family in 1982 with me. So they were living upstate. Um, my father was, at the time, involved in crafts, and my mother was as well. You could say that both of my parents were struggling artists, and instead of getting caught up in the rat race in what was an otherwise, and still to this day, you know, an arguably difficult profession being a independent artist in the crafts world, it's a really a make or break industry. And instead of being stuck in New York City, trying to make ends meet and probably conceding to some other main job like I'm doing now, <laughs> effectively, uh, they decided to move upstate and find a way to really foster their arts. So my father was painting boxes and, and infusing stones with wood. Uh, and my mother was, excuse me, designing hats. And she was a milliner and uh, an accessory maker. Cool. So when I when I was born, I was born to craftspeople, right. and uh, so I, I, you know, I, I was born into a very artistic family. Yeah, I'm curious about your use of the word crafts. What mm -hmm. do you feel like d differentiates an art from a craft? I think it's all the same, but uh, at the same time, when you go to a lot of these shows, uh, of which I didn't go to all of them, but my mother uh, mostly took this on and as I got older, as I became more like aware of what was going on and my sister, uh, my younger sister was born. Um, my mother had my sister when she was 40 and you know by that time she was still you know going to these different shows, these craft shows, these trade shows where there would be fine artists who were selling their paintings. There would be um, you know people who made stuffed animals, people who made custom pens <laughs> huh. like you had all these different uh art forms that were coming into the fold um my parents had a really uh good uh set of friends who were involved in making leather bags and there was some who made um what well, like you know pottery you know there's all sorts of different uh art forms that were coming into play and my mother made hats she designed children's hats that was her thing Children's hats. Children's hats, specifically. Children's wow. hats and accessories. Were you like a really well-accessorized little kid? <laughs> you know, style? it's kind of funny, Asha. Uh, one of my first gigs was before I even started acting, and I was a model. I was actually, I modeled my for a, a, a show that's like the poster is still hanging up in my, uh, in my house, in, in my parents' house in Woodstock, where I was raised. The, um... It's like me on a rocking horse, and I'm wearing, uh, I guess, an embroidered uh, like vest or something that my mother designed. Um, but she was making children's clothing and accessories, uh, you know, hats and accessories. And she would, uh, like, she had a glue gun. And she would like make the, you know, put the hats with like really interesting kind of like toy designs, etc. And it was like, oh, it was very clearly like the hats that she was using were meant to invoke some sort of playfulness and really. She had a good eye for the fashion because mm -hmm. she was constantly subscribing to different magazines and seeing like what the trends were. And uh, she even as so much as I think and I would argue 
had a real finger on the pulse of visors. Uh, <laughs> real finger on the pulse of visors. I, I am not joking. Like It didn't we, seem like a joke. We had head warmer visors from oh as God. early as I can remember. That's really innovative. And they were not, you, you didn't see them around a lot, but yeah, then they became huge. They became huge. Yeah. And so I remember like those were all over the house because she would cool. be designing those and uh, selling them. They were good sellers. So you were like a, a, a kid model, well accessorized, yeah. tons of fashion. My sister and I and some of our friends uh, were modeling even when she needed, uh, because she needed to make these photos uh, for her displays when she would right, go on right. to the shows. Do you feel like it was almost written for you to become an artist? You had these art, arty parents and it feels like that was almost it, it always going to happen. It didn't hurt that being in Woodstock, New York, where... Right. Everybody. This was not uncommon. This no. thing of where you move from the city to Woodstock to do art. Well, I mean, you could be in New Paltz, you could be in Rosendale. The, the Ulster right. County, in and of itself, has a lot of creative enclaves mm-hmm. and communities that uh, begin to uh, take hold. And you know what you're getting into when you're up there. That mm-hmm. you have that community fostered. Uh, catering to all the, the different artist types, whether you're a fine artist, you're painting, there's plenty of galleries. Yeah, yeah. Whether you're an actor, was it like was myself. it like kids of artists? Like you, you grew up there, right, in Woodstock? That's correct. So you went to high school or uh, elementary, middle school? I went to elementary school, and then after sixth grade, uh, I was shipped off to a private uh, day school. Got it. It was a a school that I traveled for like an hour and a half every day by a bus uh, to go. Because uh, the route was so stupid. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I was, but effectively seventh grade to 12th grade, I was uh, going to school still in the Hudson Valley, but uh, Dutchess County, not Ulster County. Got it. So probably more when you were younger, but also probably a bit when you were older, you were hanging out with kids who were, ki- their parents were creatives too. All throughout yeah. my uh, upbringing, between six years old and 18, 17, eight year, 18 years old, I was acting constantly. I was surrounded by theatrical kids, not in my school specifically, hmm. but whenever I would go do a show, whenever I'd be in the local, uh, you know, play The Wizard of Oz, or if I do uh, Bye Bye Birdie or Sound of Music, yeah, uh, or any of these shows that allowed me a chance to perform on stage, I was, uh, it was a nurturing environment because there were plenty of other kids who uh, were from that area, Kingston, Saugerties, uh, surrounding towns, mm-hmm. and uh, who they may not have necessarily been going to school with other actors, but when they came to do a show, they you know worked on this show with me. They were around, yeah, folks of their of kids of that shared their interests, right. So I felt really at home there too. Were your parents really encouraging of this? Completely. Were they? Did they encourage it in the first place? Were they like, here's here's what you're going to do, kid? Uh, I don't know if my thoughts... Express spot- yourself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I think that my mother really was the, uh, the bellwether, really, for that, because she could see that, like, I was always in my own head, and I was always interested in just putting myself out there and performing in some capacity. And so then I started acting, and I don't even remember when... I started other than just like being told, oh, yeah, yeah, you were six years old. It was December. You were a bluebird on stage. I remember right. it, but I don't remember it. I just it was a it was a blur because it was so long ago. Yeah. And there were so many older kids and there were so many kids in general. Uh huh. I can relate to that. Yeah, I knew that I, I was a theater kid and for a little bit, too. And mm-hmm. I know like 
I joined the elementary school club where you were in the play, and I don't remember if I decided to join it. Yeah. I think like everyone did it. I don't know. I just we just all did it. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, I, I, I acting was just always something I did. I mean, that was that was what people knew about me. There right. was there was like one of my friends' mothers was always like, "I'm expecting you to see you up there, thanking me in an award speech kind of style." Like, yeah, I was just omnipresent on the stage so when you were in high school and thinking more seriously about your life is that did you know you wanted to do that professionally yes did you hesitate there was a hesitation um and it didn't come right away in between junior year and senior year of high school i kind of stopped working with the woodstock youth theater and started uh focusing more on you know being a part of the productions that were happening at Poughkeepsie Day School, the school I went to and uh, graduated from, and I applied to a summer program at Vassar College. Okay. Which was just down the road from Poughkeepsie Day School. Um, it actually used to be right next to it until they moved over to another IBM building. Not 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 significant. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, um, but point is, is that I did a summer program at Vassar. And that was an eye-opening experience. It was the Powerhouse Apprenticeship Theater Program. Okay. Um, and there was maybe about, I want to say like maybe like 30 to 40 acting apprentices. And then um, here and there, like a handful of directing and writing and uh, stage manager apprentices. And so for eight weeks, we were on the Vassar's campus. And that was my first conservatory experience. A lot of kids will do like NTI, which is National Theater Institute, there's other college programs that exist throughout the nation that, uh, you know, bring kids who haven't graduated high school yet to immerse themselves into a full on uh, program uh, completely, you know, you know, doing everything, you know, and auditioning for shows, et cetera. Right. So I did that. Um, and I it was both great and it, it was it was great altogether. It was both a positive and a negative experience for me. It was positive in that it educated me as to what exactly I should be expecting from a theater program, conservatory program, a BFA program over a four-year period. Right. And because of that, I knew that I was going to have a really hard time committing to something like that. Wow. Okay. For, a four, for four years after doing it for eight weeks. So this is a junction. It was, missed one. It was absolutely a junction. So you do this thing. You're like... I loved it. You, you Wait. Okay. I loved it, but it was a negative experience. It wasn't. I, I'm just. I'm. I'm misinterpreting the word negative. Ne- the, the, it wasn't so much it was negative, but there were downsides that I was the master. I was the master of my own fate. Well, if you loved it, why didn't you want to commit to it for another four years? After the eight weeks, I learned so much and considered it such a positive experience. But it, it occurred to me because I was doing this. It wasn't just actually kids who had not graduated high school i was Mm -hmm. doing it with kids who were in college or who had graduated college someone was 26 okay uh that was like it blew my mind i was an eight and 17 years old and was like the youngest and then 26 years old was the oldest in this program so i was learning from watching kids in college who made made this their life and are probably going to school for acting at at whatever university or college around the East Coast or on the other side of the the country. Mm -hmm. And so it educated me. It brought me full circle into realizing how many different experiences are 
converging on this in this one program and how serious some people were about it. And mm-hmm. it was something that I considered a serious in you know it, it was serious. I considered it a very serious uh endeavor of mine. And I was seventeen years old. So it's like watching how I operate at a level that's supposed to be more professional when I'm spending my summer acting and realizing that I'm still a kid and I'm insecure and I'm just clearly, you know, not ready for this yet. So my insecurities about my, about what I could accomplish and the, the humility of knowing that I couldn't get all the big parts, which I was already respecting already since I doesn't, it's not like I was expecting to always get the big parts, but you know, I do my audition and I don't get all the parts that I want. I get a, I get a good part for the measure for measure and then I got no other parts. So you did this thing and it wasn't like, you didn't enjoy it. You were like, oh, this isn't as fun as I thought it would be or it wasn't as interesting or I don't like it as much. It was a you lot were of- just like, oh, all these other people are doing this. They're really good. Yeah. All these people are trying to succeed in this thing. What yeah. makes me think that I could try to succeed? It in was this a reality thing? check. And, 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 and I remember coming back that senior year, a totally transformed person. Because mm. every year you come back, from the summer and you're like jazzed or totally mortified or energized, whatever the case may be. There's that, there's that like intrinsic energy that September brings yeah, that we, something new is going on when, when we, when we grow up like this. Yeah. Because maybe we don't have to work in education, but every September, even as an adult, we're coming back into this month as like a re-energized soul because we've grown to expect that. Interesting. No, I mean, do, yeah. Do you feel like that too sometimes? I don't every, know. Every every September, like there's something like like, like a like a, a bolt just comes off, and it's like, oh, I'm ready. Like, I don't like, think I have that. It's I think, September. It's like it's, it's no. I month think of the year. I I really am big on the new year. Like yeah. I definitely do that on the calendar yeah. year. I'm like this year is all about this. I'm all about like intention setting. Of and, course. Like I always love New Year's. You know, even as a kid. Yeah. Uh, in September, yeah, I guess definitely I know the back to school vibe when you're like, this year's gonna be different. I was totally. But that did not translate yeah. to adulthood for me, unfortunately. Th- anyway, so you that, get back. That, that one, I was feeling so different than I ever had in going into any year. Like the first day or two of the summer program being, you know, the, high school horn dog that I probably was and you know just being really interested in making connections with the opposite sex and you know trying to hook up etc and you know failing miserably and you know that that humbling moment I, I had experienced time and time again and never really worried too much about you know what the circumstances were going to be because I was a well used to rejection and considered that to be a part of my life um, but then of course uh, you know, knowing that, okay, I don't have to ever worry about this ever again. Uh, you know, I don't need to worry about having, you know, finding a relationship. I have a new found experience. I'm a new person because of the experience that I had, uh, seeing rejection for the first time as an actor and you know, on a, on a more, you know, professional scale and learning from all of my other, you know, contemporaries that I've made friends with in this program, just like how good so or wait, bad I was. So wait, did you come back 
happier or sadder? Like, did I you- think I think I came back more uh, realized. And then I found a girlfriend, a girl like was attracted to that. Right. And it was the first time and the last time I ever dated somebody that I went to school with. Oh, interesting. Even going into college. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, more or less. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, I never really had a, like a real true relationship with anybody that I ever went to school with in college. And I would say that this relationship that I had for the two, three weeks or something, uh, obviously, like high school, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the two or three week period where it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Quintessential. Um, but again, like the place that I was coming from mentally when that relationship began was this re, re, re-energized sense of self-awareness uh, uh, about who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do with my acting career. And what was that? Because you said that you came back more hesitant than ever that you wanted to have an acting career. I had been looking at colleges, uh-huh. and right, I think I had been looking at colleges in my junior year and got well, obviously a little more serious in senior year uh, to obviously apply before December, get that cut off. Um, but I had looked at a few schools. I had six schools that were on my mind. One was a safety school in New, New Paltz, SUNY New Paltz. Another was uh, Drew University in New Jersey. And then um, SUNY Purchase, Emerson, Alfred, and Ithaca. They were the only six schools I applied to. You were staying in New York. <laughs> I was staying on the East Coast. Yeah. Emerson was the only oh, uh, right, right, outside of the okay. um, you know tri-state area. And Emerson and SUNY Purchase, I actually submitted uh, uh, to be a part of the acting program. Okay. I uh, auditioned. I didn't get to either of them. That was humbling. Yeah. But expected because... You know, these are very competitive schools, especially Purchase, which is impossible to right, get right, into. Right, 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 yeah. Um, I got deferred from Drew and SUNY New Paltz, which I didn't care about. I got accepted into Alfred in Ithaca. Alfred ex- accepted me into their theater program and offered me, uh, you know, a you know to be a part of their acting program. Ithaca did not because I never applied to their acting program. Hmm. And the reason that is, Asha, is because when I went to visit Ithaca, I was not overly impressed with their theater program. Got it. When you go to college, to visit a college, I should say, when you visit a college and mm-hmm. you go on the tour, it's up to the tour guide or to give you that. Yeah, like if the weather's bad, you might just never go to that college. Right. <laughs> or if the tour guide's annoying. Or... I want to say that like either the first or second time I went to Ithaca, I was not impressed. Yeah. But, um when I, I was talking with my mom about this this morning because I was trying to remember how I responded when we got to the Dillingham Center, which is where the, uh, the theater mm-hmm. program is there at Ithaca. And I guess I just didn't find it overly too exciting because in comparison, when I went to the Roy H. Park School of Communications, went downstairs and I saw the radio station, something lit up. Oh, great. Love this story. So... Backtrack a little bit. Uh-huh. In Woodstock, WDST 100.1 FM, still operating, uh-huh. is a radio station that I grew up listening to. And more than acting, more than studying movies and shows, I feel like I was just a huge music nerd. So I was... This tr- was the radio station you loved wasn't a college radio. It was just a this local was, yeah. music station? I'm just backtracking to give cool. some context yeah. quickly about the fact that I, I came yeah. from a background of being an actor who just, just loved yeah. music and was obsessed with music. And uh, that that was my jam. Like, I just yeah. felt myself 
collecting CDs more than collecting movies. And I, I was studying, you know, I'm going to concerts rather than going to see Broadway shows. I, I, was, I was just a music obsessed kid, no different than any other teenager. Yeah. But I, I got really into the idea of broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And I did remember doing like an internship in high school. And so then here I am now, fast forward back to Ithaca. I'm touring Ithaca and I felt so more invited uh, to go into this studio than I was to go into this conservatory program mm-hmm. at Ithaca. And that was not anybody's uh, fault other than mine. Like, I just realized that I found myself more at home alone in a studio where mm-hmm. I have the power, like you do every week, to speak into a microphone and broadcast views and thoughts and in this case, music for me, because I was doing a music, I would end up doing a music show. Mm-hmm. And this happened like on a tour, like one day you were on a tour and you were like, the Ooh. went down to the studio and the light was shining. I just, I, I, I was really excited. Had a halo? It. It's like when, if it wasn't acting, I was going to be a radio DJ. Okay. And I sort of saw Ithaca as my opportunity to really get immersed in my fallback position, which was somebody who would be involved in radio. And that eventually leads into voiceover, but we can get to that later. Um, radio was something that was uh, a, a, a passing passion of mine. It wasn't like something I wanted to think about doing for the rest of my life. But WICB is a world-renowned, uh, world-renowned. It's a like a Princeton Review-renowned, at least, uh, radio station um, that makes like the top you know list every year because it's just really great. I mean, the communications program at Ithaca is so impressive and so great that I actually applied for it. And I didn't get in because my GPA was nowhere close to uh, representing what uh, a normal Roe H. Park school kid was going to, uh, you know, have to, you know, have in order to yeah, be in there. Yeah, it feels like a cool place. Like, There's a lot of cool people Like, there. there are people listening who, like, have a discerning ear, unlike yeah. a normal college town where only the college kids are. And a, and a broad, and a very broad yeah. uh, audience. Because right. Because they had a good signal that made it all the way down to even, like, the... Uh, the border of Pennsylvania. Oh, interesting. That's at least my understanding, at least. Cool. So I'm going to have to so, confirm that for me. <laughs> so this is a big decision you made to kind of abandon the thing you always planned on doing. Not as a, a, yeah, not abandon. To leave it to the side. To leave it to the side, for sure. To pursue this other thing instead. Yeah. It was a, a decision that I definitely did not have an easy time making. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, look, it's one or the other. You either study what you've been working on your whole life somewhere that's very desolate because mm-hmm. Alfred has nothing around it. Right. It's in Allegheny County surrounded by nothing. Or you can go to an Ithaca, Ithaca or any one school like that in a college town mm-hmm. that's quality of life is un, 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 inarguably more active. Mm-hmm. And there's just more opportunities right. to try other things. So you could have compl- like, not more than doubled down, like triple, quadruple down on acting and only done that. Yeah. Or you could have kind of had a normal life and also mainly pursued this one thing that you were interested in. My, my mother said that uh, it, uh, I wanted to be mainstream even though I never was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's really poignant. Point, poignant? What a weird word. Uh Everyone wants to be mean. Everyone wants people to understand them, yeah. even if they're weirdos. Yeah. Um, 
what was I just gonna ask? Did how did you did you agonize over it? Was it like really like you took a long time? You waited until the last minute? It was a pretty easy decision at the time for me to make, and I think it was the right decision after all that said and done, because I did want to break out of where I was at before. I was in a school that was so small and such a a tiny uh, fraction of what the real world is like. I got a great education. I love where I came from and how I got there was by no stretch at all because of just the fact that I wanted to, uh, you know, be paid attention to more. Mm -hmm. So now that I've been paid attention to more, given a more, uh, you know, one-on-one educational experience up until high, you know, in throughout middle school and high school, do I want to continue that during my college years or do I want to like actually try on something that I'm never going to probably have again. Right. And that's what I did. I had the campus experience. Yeah. People don't understand that college is like the one shot, the one time you get to, it's like a wild card. You can, it really is throw it away and do something totally crazy. And I could have gone to school here in the city. I I did internships here in the city and I, every time I would do an internship in in the city, even, um, you know, like sophomore, my heading into my sophomore year of college, Mm -hmm. I just said to myself, my God, I can never go to school here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so distracted by just being here yeah. during the summer. I have a lot to say on that topic, but we'll do that in another episode. Sure, sure. So you're so you think it was the right decision, yes. and I know that your next big decision you pinpointed is eventually moving here. Yes. What happened in between? Or what, how how was the college radio thing? Well, the college radio thing was great. Um yeah. I mean, now I'm on Radio Free Brooklyn, so right. clearly my experience uh being mm-hmm. on ICB as uh one of the DJs uh for the City Rhythms programming, which was uh, hip-hop and R&B. Um, I specialized in underground hip-hop and did a uh, DJ gig on the weekends. And even in sophomore year, I was lucky enough to have the graveyard shift from 4 to 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Ooh. So that gave me the uh, designated, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Like designated driver duties on Saturday nights for all my friends because I couldn't drink before my show. So I would just <laughs> stay up and then do the morning shifts. So it was a good experience being on the radio and playing music that I grew to love more and more by just learning about it. Right. It was a really educational experience and it gave me a chance to learn about this music that I was um, becoming more interested in. Uh-huh. Um, but it didn't stop me from doing theater, Asha. Like I was still doing a little bit of acting. I oh. took I took part in being uh, in a part of independent uh, projects that were not involved with the main stage shows that were happening at Ithaca. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a part of a group called the IC Players, okay. which was uh, sort of you know it not connected again with uh, the BFA program at all, and just kids who wanted to act and put on shows. So I did. Uh, a show called Reckless. I did a show called Brave New World. Uh, a show called Brave New World. I did a. It was a stage version of Brave New World. Oh, cool. Um, which is was actually unfortunately very forgettable. Um, and I don't <laughs> even remember. I think it was put on in like some classroom. It wasn't even put on on a stage. <laughs> I did uh, a great show called Icarus. Um, creepy, creepy name. Icarus. Yeah, creepy name. Okay, <laughs> I, I I respect that. I I, for, I forget the uh, the um the writer of the play, but um some really good theatrical experiences that I had and even getting to perform at the state theater uh, in downtown Ithaca was a great experience. But um, probably my most fruitful theatrical experience at Ithaca was doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show um, Shadowcasts. Fun. 
That's and, so fun. And I saw it my freshman year, yeah. and I knew I wanted to do it the next year, and so I did, and I did it for the next two years after. That. And you're perform? Were you performing with the kids who did the theater program there? Uh, some of them were involved in the acting program, but I. Pretty sure the the majority of them were like me, just, just misfits and uh, intramural sports. Version. Yeah, cool. exactly. Nice. Um, so you managed to get really rooted in the college radio station and do your other do your acting thing the whole time. I that that was the whole plan. And then you get to the end of college, and you're probably like, "Well, which one of these things do I want to keep doing right. for money?" Right. And that that conversation came up rather. Uh, abruptly uh not eventually very abruptly when uh senior year came around and there was a decision to be made about for my with my parents about what i was going to actually do for work when i got out of college mm -hmm. and i knew i wanted to move to new york i did want to move to new york it was my plan to move to new york and when my sister who was going to, looking at schools for photography uh in the city came about so she was 18 when you were finishing college? Uh, yeah. She uh, she actually graduated a year early, if that makes any sense. She she was taking like classes at a junior college. Got it, and got it. So, so she's, she she's made, just leaving home for the first time, though. She yeah. was leaving home for the first time at the same time as me, and she started at SVA, incidentally, at uh, a sophomore level, uh, gotcha. or, 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 yeah, a second-year level with the credits that she had. So she spent three years at SVA, and her first year in the city was my first year in the city. So oh. her her being in the city actually was not uh, the main reason why I moved, but it was a huge reason why. It felt good to be saying, okay, I am moving to the city for the first time. The least I could have is like some family to be here to, you know, make me feel a little better yeah. about this d dark, deep, dark, you know, abyss that I'm about to go into. Yeah. And it was. It was a huge abyss because yeah. I was looking for work in the radio being realm. Being 22 is terrifying. Well, and that the fact that you know, I did not have the credentials on my resume to really uh, show that I could be working at uh, a serious radio or uh, any like a startup radio station or something. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was sort of lost. I remember my entire email box was just a sea of gigs that my mother was sending me on Craigslist because... You know, my parents really cared about me finding work, and I was very indebted to them looking for me at all times, be it for apartments to live in or jobs to interview for. And um, none of it really, and on the job side at least, really panned out, even though I would send resumes all the time, and I just felt really lost. And so I played the typical card of struggling artist and, you know, did catering and dog walking when I first got here temping etc mm -hmm. that was pretty much my first year or two in the city and what okay so, so you, th that happens for a few years yeah I should, at what point are you like all right i'm gonna really pursue the work i want yeah i should also note that i went to i, I majored in writing and i minored oh, in theater interesting so majoring in writing because i needed to pick a major they over-enrolled the year that I started mm -hmm. and they gave me the opportunity since I didn't get into the communication school mm -hmm. to pick my own major to pick another major which was so silly of them so what I do you mean to like make your own no well they should have <laughs> but no they gave me like a list so I went to school for writing and took a, a picked up a minor in theater along mm -hmm. with doing all this you know extracurricular doing the radio etc yeah, yeah. but getting 
to the city with that on my resume did not help me at all. Got it. So, so it was like a, yeah. ma- a my major in writing, but not from the communication school. Right. Yeah. That that's the thing in NYU too. Like there's like the there's the schools, and then there's like the liberal arts version yeah. of all of those programs, and it's like not worse but it's just like well you weren't very serious about this when you were 18 were you basically college prepared me uh for i i did not prepare myself well in college i i did well within the confines of college getting all these things out of the way and learning all these things uh but you know with a creative writing major a a theater arts minor yeah you know four years doing college radio i spread myself too thin right so I, that's why I was sort of, uh, You're mass, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dead on arrival. <laughs> okay. So at what point after being sick of dog walk, walking and temping, were you like, all right, I need to figure out what I'm going to do to like have fun in my job? Well, it, luckily enough, one of the temp jobs led to a permanent fixed, uh, a permanent position. Mm-hmm. So I actually did end up, uh, doing something that I wasn't passionate about, but still made me a decent amount of money to afford living in New York Mm -hmm. for almost four years. Um, And so I did that. It was just like, it was a video editing, just incidentally more editing um, that I was doing instead of doing music uh, and, you know, prepping shows for Radio Free Brooklyn. I I was at the time I was working, uh, you know, clipping up, great skill to have clipping up uh, television clips. uh, And this was before the iPhone. And, you know, I was doing, you know, making content. It was all very sort of arbitrary for the time. It was just a job that I had that allowed me to sit down all day and be on social media when otherwise not watching the news and making news clips. Right. That was that was all I was doing. So I did that for four years. And I unfortunately during that time was so busy with a day to day job that I kind of missed a lot of opportunities in the acting world of which I would have otherwise totally uh, taken advantage of. Yeah. Um. So you weren't auditioning at all. You were just kind of doing your job. I was karaoke. I was karaokeing, Asha. Oh, uh, these well, are more important things to do uh, to yeah, find man. a way. Find a way to like you know just uh, have some fun. Have some fun. Still do a little bit of performance if you want to call it that. Yeah. Be, get the acting bug out of the way while at the same time making connections with the community. I'm all about that's that's the stage of life I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, karaoke is like. A major part of my life. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, so at what point... Okay, so you have this video editing job. At what point... Tell me about the decision to leave that. I met a lady who eventually became my wife, and the two of us were living together um, only about a few months before we both ceremoniously quit our jobs. Um, Some good synergy. Spoiler alert, she ended up going back to the job that she quit. <gasps> oh, no. But it's okay. It, it was for the best. Yeah. Uh, so we both quit our jobs in 2000, in 2010. Okay. Um, oh, was yeah. No, like, no. Oh, sorry. So it was a year. It was a little over a year that we were living together, I should say. Was it like a, a pact? You were like, we've got to do this. We're unhappy. We met in 2009. Uh-huh. We moved in later in the year. And then a year into our, you know, a year into working at our said our said jobs. Mm-hmm. What I should say is is that she quit her job, and was working in Manhattan. So she was coming into the city with me. She had been working in Brooklyn. We're living in we're working living in Brooklyn. We're working in the city. And after a year, my last year of working at uh, Critical Mention, mm-hmm. and her only year of working at this um, 
firm, this a tiny firm, my mental litigation firm in Midtown. She does not want to work there anymore. And I'm done working at this place because I have learned less in the four years that I was working at this job than I had in freaking college. You know, and if you have, you, if you're learning less in the workforce yeah. than you're working, learning in four years of college, there's a problem. Yeah, where your whole job is to just destroy your brain cells. And exactly, I yeah. saw it coming, and so I knew that I had to. It, it was stagnating. So she quit her job in Manhattan at the same time that I quit my job in the height of like unemployment uh, uh, season. Yeah, when, it like, was 2009. Are you crazy? 2010. Yeah, exactly. You crazy. Yep. Uh, we went to, we went on a trip to California together to see my friend get married and then we came back. She had a job waiting for her and I did not. Oh. Okay, but you so you did make this decision together. I like this. This is a new kind of decision, the joint decision. Yeah. It, it's like really scary to decide to do something or like quit something cuz it's making you unhappy. Yep. But someone else is doing it with you. It's like it's like a suicide pact or well, something. Well, it wasn't scary for her. Uh, she right. went back to where she was working before, which uh, incidentally is where we work together now, which is a, it's a real estate office. And yeah. uh, she's an associate broker. I'm uh, her underling, effectively. <laughs> I'm just a lowly agent. Uh, but it's uh, it's good because, you know, actors and real estate uh, do tend to mix really well because it keeps you on your feet and it's flexible, supposedly. But um, that's... selling people things all the time it did not happen right away though so in 2011 uh that was a really tough year uh because i had just turned 26 uh or i was turning 26 no what am i talking about i was already 26 and so the marketplace for health insurance at the time was a little bit uh chaotic in 2011 yeah um but i was very much uh in the mind of temping and then trying to like figure out what my next move is going to be. So eventually I got my license so I can do real estate. But uh, I was also auditioning because I had more free time. How did you, so that's why you basically quit this job. You were trying to work out some other new gig. And in the meantime, you were like, I got to start auditioning. Yeah. I was ready to like get. Was it hard to gather yourself up to do that? Uh, it was not an easy transition, but I knew that it was in, it was inevitable that that was going to be the way my life had to go. I needed to come back to the essence. Yeah. I didn't come to the city to bullshit. I came to the city to focus on what makes me happy. And hopefully, uh, that happiness could also be lucrative. And so I knew that it wouldn't happen right away. But the only way that was going to happen is if I get out there and be seen. So I auditioned for stu- uh, student films, short films, uh, voiceover projects. Mm-hmm. I actually got really into voiceover uh, and would, was taking classes. And I had coaches and, uh, you know, joined uh, a few different sites and put my, uh, you know, my reel up there mm-hmm. and had, you know, different friends who worked at studios uh, hook me up with some uh, demo reels. So I was very much focused on creating my brand and creating what I was known for at a at a rate of which could have been faster if I had more uh, resources, but I did not because I was very much at that point in my life, very uh, self-reliant on, you know, with trying to get everything done on my own. Yeah. Interesting. Um, at what point does it start kind of catching some ground? You joined the union eventually, right? I, so I did join the union. So that must have meant you were booking union jobs. When it happened, it was so, it was such a surprise, Asha, because I was working towards it and I was doing background on one film or the other and getting 
you know, getting what's it called uh, waivers, I guess, or right. You know, you'd get uh, uh, one step closer. It's like you get three waivers and then you can join the union. Hmm. And so I had two waivers and then I booked a principal role on what was a trailer because I had a speaking role and that meant I got a Taft-Hartley agreement sent to my uh, place of residence. And what that is, is that's something you sign, which immediately makes you eligible to be a part of SAG-AFTRA. However, the eligibility has an expiration date because it's like six months or something that that expiration, uh, until it expires, this eligibility to be a part of SAG-AFTRA. So if you don't take it by the reins, it expires. So after I booked this thing in 2013, I had the remainder of 2013 to say, I should join or should I not join? And I joined SAG-AFTRA at the end of the year. This one, this sounds like a pro-con list thing, right? It That's, is, it's very like cost benefit. This was not something I was really happy about, actually. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was very gingerly, uh, happy about it. I was like, it was something I was like, look at me. Yay. Hmm. Why? Why? I think my parents wanted me to join and I, uh, I, I appeased my parents to join because it was a, pr- a pressure that I was put on because this was something that they knew I wanted to be in and I knew I wanted to be in, but I didn't think I was ready, but interesting but this is like this is a question that i think comes up a lot in my life as an actor the preparedness and whether you should step aside or just jump down the cliff Hmm. and i decided to jump down the cliff interesting the time before the the other time you were like oh maybe i'm not ready for this should i just jump into it was with acting you like you got a taste of it. You were like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this. Yeah. And you didn't do it. Yeah. And I didn't want to make that same mistake again. Yeah. Well, was it a mistake? You, you thought it was the right choice. I did think it was the right choice, but I was. You were uh, ready to not make that choice this time. I didn't think that I could commit that much time to it. And I was right about that. But I did it because I thought maybe it would help lead some more, it would open some more doors. And it doesn't. Because if you want to really truly take advantage of a membership of the union, mm-hmm. you use all the resources. You, um, you're working every day. I was engaged to be married and uh, six or seven months after I got my SAC after membership. So it was poor timing on my part. But mm. more importantly, I was not at all utilizing the resources at my disposal. It was, I was terribly unresourceful. There was all these things too about it that just didn't, as when I eventually quit, which was um, within the last year, there was a few reasons as to why that happened. But I realized that it was pointless for me to focus so much on being a part of a union that did nothing for me when I wasn't utilizing all of what they had to offer. One, I'm not on their health insurance. Two, I don't have time to be watching all these movies and being a part of the voting process during SAG, the SAG Awards season. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, um, I think those were the main two, but there's like, there's just like perks that I just felt like, why am I a part of this if I'm not like really truly 
getting the fourth, you know, looking for the fourth. Yeah, and it doesn't help you book jobs, right? It just allows you to do the jobs that are a little bit bigger and not the non-union stuff. Help you, right? So it kind of prevents you from booking some jobs. So fast forward last year, right? Mm -hmm. And I get a voiceover gig. Uh huh. I'm uh, being represented by an agency based in Portland, Oregon, called In Both Ears, and they tell me that. They encourage me, I should say, to join Financial Core, FICOR, which is sort of this in-between non-union and union in that you can, as a FICOR member, apply for both. sag looks terribly on it because it's a leech of a sort of uh, situation to be able to apply for union work. But what they do is they strip you of the ability, if you do join FICOR, that you can pay you, you you can apply for union work but you will be looked out on favorably you still have to pay them uh biannual dues oh yeah yeah i know about this okay you can still you still have to pay the biannual dues uh-huh. but you're not allowed to uh put sag after on your resume interesting fine, fine. i mean um okay but then uh, they we, we have 10 minutes yeah. left and i know we need to start talking about your decision we do. to direct they and in both ears drop me anyway so Sorry, y'all. I mean, it's it, it felt like I just joined FICOR for no good reason whatsoever. Well, I feel like all these decisions are being made for me, and then I realized I needed to create something and just make decisions for myself. That is a good narrative leap you just made. I really like that. And I also just want to quickly say, like, a big part of my inspiration or my intention with the show is to, like, maybe one day help guide people through specific decisions in their life. Mm-hmm. And I think we just really got some good detail. Like I didn't, I didn't know that about acting unions. Hope that if anyone is listening and deciding whether to join SAG after yeah. that they have been helped by this episode. So you're needing to create something that is just for you and you'd never directed before. Did you want to direct plays as a kid? Um, uh, no, I always felt that I was, that was not my spotlight. I was never comfortable being. Uh, the person who was in charge of choreographing. I was always best uh, taking choreography and taking direction. And to this day, I still think that I, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. But um, now here I am uh, eating my words because I'm the one doing that. I'm the one who is giving direction. And it's it's scary. It's really scary. What made you decide th- why why this? It was actually a really silly reason, and I'll tell you, it was not uh, something I ever expected was going to happen in the capacity of that I'd be directing and producing it, but I just wanted to see it made. That's a great reason. And so because I wanted to see it get made, it was bestowed on me, okay, well, it seems like you want to direct this. Yeah. I guess I do. (laughs) That's so cool. I was just talking with a friend earlier today about like what music doesn't exist. Like what music do we want to hear that doesn't exist yet? Uh, So you did that. I did that. I heard a song. I was just listening to a song and the song in, inspired me to learn more about the album and then realized. Where did that, you hear the song? Um, I, I have an app called radio.com, uh, radio with five O's. It's, uh, sort of like the best kept secret on the web from, and nobody else seems to use it except for me. And I just show all this my friends. It's not an like, ad for radio.com. No, yeah, exactly. But it's just like, uh, it's an app and they have music from all around the world and they had like a con film festival channel, uh, that a station and I was listening to soundtrack songs and then this song from uh, the Phantom of the Paradise film from 1974 came on. I it blew my mind. I listened to the entire soundtrack, continued to blow my, blow my mind. Watched the movie. Significant, uh, you know, 
uh, pattern developing here. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I want to see if this has been done in New York City as yeah. a show. It hadn't. I did my research and found out that it's been done in Baltimore and LA, but it never had been performed on a stage in New York City for whatever reason. And now here I am saying that I want to do that. So this is a movie, but it has been adapted for theater. You didn't have to adapt it. it, it it's not. A, it's actually uh, not adapted. Uh, officially, we're doing a, a parody, but we're not calling it a parody because Got it's it. not effectively that more of a... It's not exactly a comedy, per se. Got it. Got it. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to... I just wanted to put something fun. Put yeah. something fun. Because I come from this school of Rocky Horror Picture Show, Shadowcast, which is an interactive theatrical experience. And this isn't a shadow cast at all, but it's the same campy elements that make Rocky Horror such a uh, a legendary yeah, experience. It's beloved. It's beloved. And Phantom of the Paradise is sort of its more serious literary cousin that was directed by Brian De Palma just before Rocky Horror Picture Show oh, was released. Oh, it is in the family of. It is like an artistic relative to. Completely. Yeah. Okay. Completely. Cool, cool, That's cool. why, and then when I saw the movie, I was like, they're like... It appealed to those senses. Yeah, and that has a built-in audience. Yeah. Awesome. There's a huge cult following. Right. Especially in Winnipeg for some reason. Not really sure why. Interesting. Um, that's really cool. And I like how your uh, love of music, you mentioned like, yeah, you wanted to be an actor, but what was really keeping you up at night was like listening to music. Always. And now you kind of found a way to merge the two. Not really, but you, you're love of music got you into a theatrical project basically being involved with improv which yeah. uh came after i got married being involved in karaoke which spans a 10-year period being involved in acting having the love of that sort of campy sort of interactive theatrical experience variety um all of these things sort of the culmination is that of which is phantom of the paradise in concert because it speaks to all of these sensibilities that i uh, have become uh, a part of who i am as an artist Right. Awesome. So how is it going? How is directing going? Uh, it's so oh giving God. orders. <laughs> it's it's really uh stressful, but I uh, I accept the stress because uh it wouldn't be on a Lon Danziger uh production of any variety, be it non theatrical or theatrical if there wasn't some stress involved. Um so it's welcome stress. Right. Um I, I'm really, really, really lucky um because I'm not doing this on my own. Uh, I've got uh, as I mentioned before, Barry and Lindsay and Sean, shout outs to them for being a, a team that have been uh, just amazing. Our music director evidently has been wanting to uh, ha- see a musical of Phantom of the Paradise made too, and she reached out to us cold online. Oh my god! So wait, so who? How did you find your team before that? Um, Sean went to Ithaca ten years after I did. He graduated, and so he's uh, a but a babe, and he uh, is been how directing. Does that even work? What? He's been directing. You know, he's just ten years younger than me. I know, but how that he we found each other. He legal. He reached exactly. He reached out to me. Uh, barely. He reached out to me about uh like maybe a year ago about Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, archives or something. I forget exactly when, but at any rate, he did Rocky Horror Picture Show in college, and so uh we um we linked up because of that. Uh, Lindsay, I met through my co-host Jimmy Hoffman, who was uh you know she was here on our show Lost and Rewound um last year, and then Barry uh is a, a leader of this band called The Occasionalists, and he's uh, very much into the movie himself. So you just find people who are as passionate with the project as you are, and they share that vision, then you are able to create something that's uh, bountiful and uh, and epic. 
I can't, I can't do this on my own. I'm, but a, a, this is a passion project, but now this is like a legitimately real, uh, product that is actually going to be put on next month. Awesome. A month from now. On that note, let's plug it one more time. So how can people get more information? At the moment, we do have an Indiegogo, uh, that's not live yet. So I would recommend if anybody wants to learn more information about Phantom of the Paradise in concert to please go, uh, to my, uh, Facebook page, uh, for my, for the production. And you can look up Weasel War Dance Productions. Uh, we do have a fundraiser for the show coming up at the Secret Loft where we will be performing it. And that, uh, more information about that could be found on the Secret Loft's Facebook page. Uh, you can go to secretloftnyc.com, but that will redirect to their Facebook page. Perfect. Great plug. A little bit more of in the plugging. Uh, the fundraiser is on the 25th of actually coming up. So oh, right. if anyone wants to get tickets for that, go to the go to that secret loft page. Do it. Secret loft. Okay. Uh, in the, in the realm of plugging, Radio Free Brooklyn is a nonprofit entity funded by listeners and among other things. Uh, if you'd like to make a tax refundable charitable donation, uh, go to radiofreebrooklyn.org, com, one of the two. Uh, theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out on Bandcamp or on tour. Um, and thank you so much, Lon, for being on the show. Asha, thank you. Tune in next Sunday. I'll have someone new and exciting, uh, examining their life and their choices. Bye. Thank you.